Welcome to Life Continuing, conversations that explore consciousness, healing, and infinite existence. I'm Tanya Berg. Susan Grah is an internationally recognized intuitive medium, life path intuitive, life coach, and hypnotherapist and past life regressionist. Susan is known for bringing her genuine down-to-earth style to her clients and sessions. Susan works with the spirit world using her clair senses as a means to communicate with your loved ones. She has been offering her professional and spiritual services to the public for over three decades. Here's my conversation with Susan, where we talk about how she discovered her abilities, inner healing from trauma, and the power and magnificence of angels. Welcome, Susan. It's so lovely to have you here on the show. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here and I'm honored that you asked me. Absolutely. Like I said, when I saw you uh, on social media and I wasn't familiar with your work, you just struck me as so radiant and so genuine that I thought I just have to connect. Thank you so much. Being genuine is, is the most important part of this, being authentic and being true to who you are, which is not always easy. So I really appreciate that. It's a very big compliment to me. Thank you. So you're an evidential medium. Now, can you explain what that means specifically by using the word evidential? Um, well, evidential means I'm bringing in evidence. So I don't uh, go by necessarily just um, clairsentient, which is feelings. I do have that, but I go by the evidence I get. So what I'm asking the spirits to do prior to coming in and giving me um, their feelings about their loved one, et cetera, is to, is to come in with that evidence where my client can say to me, that's them. Because if they can't do that, then it feels manipulative to me. And so I can say anything. I can say, you're, you know, if you're 70, I can say your grandma's on the other side. She, you know, blah, blah, blah. If I say she's lovely and you move a particular way, I'm going to know that, right? I mean, that's just us as humans. So I want evidence. You know, she wore this perfume. She passed away this way. She had this personality. Maybe this is her name. So that's the kind of evidential information I want to achieve when I'm in a room with someone. And then we can go to you know, the, the emotional part and the, whatever it is, amends, love, whatever it is, gratitude. Yes, because humans have similar personality characteristics or traits that are very, very common. So I, I suppose it's trying to obtain information that's very specific to that family member and that will gain the confidence of the sitter, of the person receiving the reading, and also your confidence that you know who you're connecting with. Exactly. And, you know, it's interesting to me because there are people who, you know, send people in to uh, pretend they have a lost loved one and they try to, to prove you a liar or phony or things like that. And I always try to tell people in that when you have evidence, it still doesn't necessarily mean it's them until you're convinced. A spirit, imagine if you could never communicate. And you're in a room with someone that hears you. And I don't care who's sitting in the room. And uh, you say something and I in your mind and I look at you and go, oh, yeah, I like her dress, too. And oh, yeah, I like her shoes, too. And oh, yeah, she was she was someone's daughter, too. You would never leave me alone. You'd keep talking. So if that person in the room is claiming that that other person, they're going to keep talking as if they're theirs. So the more you claim, the more they talk, that is if you're theirs. So the goal is, or theirs, the, the goal is, is to have enough evidence that you're absolute and then memories behind that so that we can say, okay, this is absolutely them because the spirit will keep talking. And so um, I've learned over the years that we've got them lined up in the room. So if I have 10 people coming that day, there could be 20, 30, 40 people. And one of them might be a pushy control freak when they were here on this planet. And they're going to come through that way. And they're going to pretend that that's their one because they want to get through it, get through it, get through it. Let's get through mine. So, you know, you never know what you're dealing with. So it's just kind of an honor thing to, to be clear and certain um, so that number one, those people don't get away with being, you know, manipulative and, and trying to trick the reader, which is some, for some reason, some game that's going on out there. And it's been going on a long, long time. It happened to James on and he shares about it. It was very traumatizing to him. Um, so we don't want to play that game. We want to help people heal. 
So uh, evidence helps us do that. Definitely. Now, you also had a near-death experience when you were a child. Can you tell me about what happened? Well, so we call it. Um, you know, I don't think we ever clearly know exactly what happened, if I'm honest with you. And I try really hard to be uh, clear about that. Um, for me, I was four and a half years old. I was told by some boys if I got up in the freezer, I'd get to play fort with them. The freezer was in our garage and it wasn't plugged in and they wanted me to get in there. I feel like they wanted me to get popsicles for them. For some reason, that's my memory. Um, and it could have been that they just wanted me to show I was brave enough to play fort. I, I, I don't know for sure about that event. Um, what I do know is I got in. And I was facing inward and they closed the freezer door. They closed the garage door. They ran home and I started screaming uh, hysterically. I was in a dark, dusty, cobwebbed box, basically. And um, my mom was pretty clean, so I was pretty lucky. It wasn't filled with spiders like some children have experienced. I was very fortunate, although I hate spiders um, because of it. You know, because the fear that they were there. But I just remember uh, being very terrified. And then I remember hearing, stop screaming. And I saw a light. It felt like three lights, but one particular strong female essence. And um, they said, um, we're going to get your mommy. So don't scream anymore. Obviously, it was to keep me at least partially alive, I guess. I, you know, I, I, four and a half, you're not sure. Um, and I remember being pulled from my body. I remember not looking down at my body. I didn't, I wasn't even connected to my body. So you hear a lot of times, you know, people say, well, I was, you know, looking down at my body and it was so weird. I didn't feel that disconnect. And uh, I actually talked to uh, Dr. Raymond Moody is a, a, a mentor of mine. And I said to him, I didn't feel that. And he goes, a lot of people don't. We just don't write about that part because you can't share everything. So that made me feel better. Um, but I remember seeing light and then I was at the bottom of a stairwell and I, I knew that I had to go up this stairwell to get to another place. And I knew that where I was going up this stairwell, I didn't know how I was going to get up it. Um, I was kind of jello-y like, that's how I felt. Um, I knew that there was this, uh, something in the center of that stairwell that I needed to see. And I remember being all of a sudden on the edge of this large, um, I call it a well. Uh, that was the other thing that bothered me because everybody talks about tunnels. And he said, I don't know, lots of people call it well. We just have to give it a word. So that made me feel, oh, okay, it makes sense. For years, it didn't. And for years, I thought I was making this up in my head. Um, if my sister hadn't told me it happened, I don't know if I would have understood it completely. So, um, and of course my mom. So inside this, this room was, there were angels on the left side of me. And I remember, uh, um, a big, huge well. And I was in this, uh, oxymoron, but a Greek Roman room and it had an open ceiling and it had all these broken pillars. And I looked down and I could see uh, today being an, an older woman, I can tell that it was DNA of words. Okay, that's why it was moving like DNA that's swirling. But what it really was were people's hearts' desires, and they were com combining and they were mixing together as though our universe we are all one, and all one are we, right? And the, the universe I knew that, and I knew that it was all of it together as one need, and they were listening and they were paying attention, they were words. And um, whether they were prayers or what they were, I can't tell you, but they were words. And I asked, where am I? And they said, you're in the room of heart's desires. And I said, do you answer all those? Because I was precocious. <laughs> they said, no, Susie, sometimes what people desire the most isn't good for them. And then I looked ahead of me and I proceeded to see this beautiful yellow brick road and a pyramid of golden papers. And then it goes on from there. It's a very long story. If you want to hear it, I'll tell you it. But um, it's up to you. Yeah, please. I'd like to hear more because I think there's a very significant point about paving the path. Yes. Yes. So um, I saw humans 
uh, it was as though I was looking down. And mind you, I'd already seen my mommy in between this. So there were other things that had occurred. And I knew that I was going to be able to get her. And they had told her I was in the freezer and she didn't listen. Okay. So we had already bypassed her for a while. And I knew that. But I also knew I was safe and that it was going to be okay. I had no doubt. So um, the next thing I saw were these pavers and it was a pyramid and these humans, I I have to assume, were pulling from the bottom of these pavers and they were starting to pave their path. And it was bumpy and crooked and just wacky, really wacky and all over the place. And they were getting frustrated and angry and hurt and damaged and you could see it. But I also noticed that the, the pyramid was moving very ever so slightly. And at that moment, it recognized that that was the pyramid was their life journey. And what happens when you pull from the bottom of a pyramid, it becomes unbalanced. Us paving our path, obviously, is, you know, the, the essence of us unbalancing our journey. We get in our own way, as we always hear here mm-hmm. on this planet. So, um, I thought they were praying, someone help me for the love of God, someone help me. And you could feel the angst. And I felt it. And then all of a sudden, I saw these beautiful spirits, what I choose to call my angels, come in. And they started picking up the pavers. And they took them and and went to the bottom of this pyramid and put them back. And they went to the top of the pyramid, grabbed a paver, and they went to the path and started paving it. And I said, what are you doing? And they said, we are the pavers, you are not. All you have to do is walk it. And I said, how do you know if you're walking it right? And they said, because we will bless it or block it. Make no mistake. When we block it, you will, you can get through it battered and bruised at best. Or you can shift. What you run from chases you. What you try to control controls you. So all you have to do is shift. And... If you see another block, you shift again. And if you see another block, you shift again. And before you know it, you'll see us paving your path and you'll be able to walk it. All paths have obstacles. Um, I know this today. They didn't say that, but I know that. However, they'll be there paving it. They said the problem with the human condition is you have a mind. And your mind tells you it's supposed to look a particular way. You think you know how it should look. We know how it should look. So basically surrender and allow us to take you there. I didn't understand any of it. I did the opposite of all of it. I want you to know, I I came back, you know, when after all, and there was more. I saw the room of companions. I saw the room of knowledge. People call it the Akashic Records. Mm -hmm. I don't really relate to that word. Um, It's hard for me to even say because for me, I was a little girl and it was always the room of knowledge. And... um, in the room of knowledge, we we see our, our history, but we also make our decisions. So um, basically what they, I felt I did, they didn't tell me, but what I felt I did is I checked all the boxes. It's like, okay, I'll have all my family members commit suicide. That'll be the one I'll deal with. I'll have, I'll have, I'll do. And so my life journey was very difficult. And you usually hear people who've had near-death experiences have a pretty smooth life journey. You hear them say, oh, it was free. And I, I, I knew, and I knew where I was going. I was never afraid to die. Not me. I had a really hard journey. Both my brothers and my mother killed themselves. I was trafficked. I have, I have a very difficult journey. And there's more to that picture. Um, I was infertile because of the damage I had tried to adopt. I didn't, they got taken away from the birth parents and just, and finally my children came, but nonetheless, very difficult, very painful process. I wasn't one of those that life was easy and it wasn't meant to be. Number one, I checked all those boxes, obviously thought I could really handle it. I don't know. It's my personality here too, which is really weird because I really feel like oh, I can handle anything, bring it on. And then I cry and then I get through it. Right. And I have, that's how I've lived my life. So I must've felt that way then. And then on the other side of that coin, I, I feel that all of my experiences were my greatest teachers. So I tell my students and I tell myself and my children, your darkest past is your greatest asset because it teaches you equally good and bad or what people call good and bad um, is equivalent in value. They both teach us great lessons. So I learned that. And so as life went on, 
um, I got had a lot of things happen and I wanted to be loved and I was different. And so I was always codependent and letting people tell me if I was enough and I never felt good enough. I never felt worthy. And that's kind of the opposite of what most people talk about when they've had an NDE. I, I, they talk about the opposite, you know, how I knew I was meant to be here and but I didn't want to be here. I spent the first 36 years of my life wanting to get out. I was an empath who was traumatized by the way people treated each other and by the way the world looked. I didn't get it. I still don't. I still don't. If someone starts talking about someone damaging an animal or someone, any of those things, anything horrific, um, people dying of COVID, all of it. If I allow myself to step into that, I melt down and I go, oh, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. So it's not about wanting to leave the planet any longer like I did when I was younger. It's just a knowing that, man, I don't fit here. This is not my gig, you know? And so, um, but I know why I'm here. I'm here to help people heal. And I am, I'm a strong personality and I'll be damned. I will if I'm going to allow myself to leave this planet without doing what I came here to do. And so if I can help them heal, it renews me. I know I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Uh, I don't always feel healed. You know, I have to work on my shadow work and I have to work on not being jealous or not competing or not. I have to do all that too, just like everyone. And that's another thing that people with near-death experiences don't talk about. But they have those feelings too. I'm a human with a human brain. I have a spiritual guide that I follow. So I always pull myself back to the good, the greatest good. And if I've done something harmful, I make amends. I take my responsibility and accountability. That might be the difference. But my life is not easy and I am not um, a jewel walking through knowing you know, the heavens. Sometimes I even doubt it. Sometimes I even say, this can't be real. I'll go to work and I'll say, this is all bull. I tell my, my, my assistant, this is all fake. I'm faking this. I'm hurting people. I have to stop this. I can't do this anymore. And I'm going through this whole trauma. And she goes, tell me all this, Susan, when you come out of the room after helping people today. And I'll come out and go, I couldn't have known that. Oh my gosh, all that information. It's really real. you know. And this happens rarely, but it happens. So my humanness, my brain gets in my way of my soul knowledge. What the goal is to integrate it. You have to remember when you're integrating thought with love, you're going to get a little screwed up because they're so far apart, right? Our thinking is distorted. Life distorts our thinking. So our goal is to integrate it, but to make sure the soul is the top of that integration, right? The soul makes the final decision. Not our thinking. That is so well put. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> very strongly in my journey. It's very powerful for me. Yeah. And that's a, that's a lot of um, very deep wisdom. And I'm glad that you bring those things up because I think people do wonder that other people might have it. Maybe they're more enlightened especially after near-death experience or some kind of experience or being connected to the spirit world, having the, the gifts per se. And I think people then feel discouraged and think, oh, they're, you know, they're not worthy or they're not good enough. So I think it's good to share that you're still having a human experience because you are, we all are. And that's the whole purpose, even with the second sight. Yes, exactly. I love the way you just put that. And I think that, um, you know, I've had people say, well, you're not, you're, you must have not had a near-death experience. I don't believe it, you know, because whatever reason they need, whatever brokenness they have. And they'll say, um, because people I know that have had near-death experiences, they're just so, you know, and they have all of this and no fear and they know it's just floating through life. And I said, wonderful for them. But I have a human brain and I'm meant to experience humanness. That's why I'm here to help heal people. If I don't experience humanness, how can I possibly have anything to give? What you don't have, you can't give. So I say, you know, for me, having all those experiences and being human made me a better healer because it gave me more to understand. Tell me about the angels. 
I just don't know as much about it. And I have a lot of questions. So, well, first of all, do they have wings? They can if you see them that way. So um, they come as we understand them. And we, we perceive them. So religions, certain religions like Christian and Catholic, which I was Catholic when I was a child, so angels always had wings. They came as I understood them. So yes, for me, they had wings. Um, someone who is Buddhist doesn't see them that way or someone that has a different kind of religious background. They see what makes sense to them because we all go to the same place, but we all have a different opinion of what that needs to look like for us here. So if you didn't believe in angels and one popped in front of you and you'd learned your whole life that they looked a particular way, it'd scare you. You wouldn't even know what you were looking at, especially if you were indigenous in another country and you had never seen anything. You would be terrified. What's this flying thing? It's coming to get me. It's an eagle. I don't know. What is it? So they come as we understand them, which is an amazing thought process. I understood them to be these beautiful winged uh, human looking creatures that floated right? People believe in fairies. I don't believe in fairies. I believe they're right-sized angels or, or, or angels that are different sized. So, you know, everybody has their belief system and it's okay. And we need to honor it. None of us are hundred percent, right? Which we all need to, to know. And sometimes it's hard. You know, I know times where I go, I absolutely don't believe that. And I think, God, that is so shut down, Susan. You know, honor that person's belief system. You might be wrong and and you just let go of something that might teach you something in the future. So I'm, I work on that all the time. It doesn't mean I do it perfectly, but being a little bit younger, I can remember, you know, even five years ago going, oh no, I don't believe that. I know what it looks like. Well, no, I know what it looks like for me. Um, they are angelic in nature. So if you can think of it that way, they are loving devoted, kind. They aren't distorted. They've never walked on this planet in a human form. They are pure love. And so whatever you feel about yourself that is less than or that is not worthy or any of those things, they heal because the essence of them tells you you are enough exactly as you are, as exactly as they want you in order to do the job they want you to do. And when you know that, you don't have to put yourself down for what you are because we're so good at that, aren't we? Mm -hmm. So um, they're very healing. Um, you feel a sense of stepping into them. It's almost like a, I'm seeing spirits right now. It's almost like um a feeling of getting into a warm, warm bath without getting wet. And you're just, there's nothing else you have to do. You don't have to dry off. You don't have to watch, you know, if you're, if the water's too hot, it's just the perfection of love. And you feel perfect when you're in their presence. Um, so when I work with them, you know, and that's what I try to work with. I don't work with guides a lot because guides that live on this planet, they kind of have a, a quirky kind of thought pattern. You know, they're more apt to say, what are you thinking? Would you stop it? And, and we all need some of that. But I kind of like the angels that go, oh, honey, because that's my personality. That's my way of talking and, and relating to people. You know, oh God, did I do that? Let me change that. You know, I'm, I'm more that person, not 24 seven. I can get off running, yell at my kid or something, you know, I mean, again, um, especially when I get in fear, but you, with them, you don't feel any fear. So you're not in that space with, um, guides. You feel like, um, a mom's talking to you or a brother's talking to you or a father's talking to you or the best friend you have that's saying, knock it off. So I really like working with the angels because I work with death every day and death to me is not dead. Right. Yep. And so, you know, it's just another form of existence. You know, we are live uh, on this planet. It's another form of existence from death here, but we exist over there the same way. So it's not a death to me. So was it your choice to work with the angels or did they choose that for you? 
Um, I think they chose it for me because I love them. I mean, I am so in love with them that even talking about them, I start glowing. I mean, I want to cry. I adore them. I love them. I know that they are there for my, for the love of me purely. No, no interest for themselves. They just want me to be okay and learn and love me. And to know that something in your presence actually feels that way about you, that they see even through all the things you do that aren't so wonderful, all the mistakes you make and the nastiness you can have as a human and all those things, they still see me, what I feel in my soul and what I really want to aspire to be. To be in that presence is like, a, it's beyond a warm hug. It's, it's just so much. And so in the human form, I don't always feel loved and accepted. You know, I'm a medium, so people like to criticize that. And they like to be cruel over that. Um, they also don't. There are people that don't. So we have both sides. I want to be clear on that. But the angels, you know, when you're in that presence, you don't, you don't have any of that other side. You are just everything and more. So that's the feeling. Um, when I crossed over, there were angels there and they came back with me. And I know they're around me all the time. They're in my room. People who never see anything can tell you that when they take my classes or they're in my 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 room, they'll they'll go, oh my gosh, I see an angel behind me. What? Oh my gosh, I see an angel. You know, and you can just see them get, and you can feel it. When they come in, the room gets very dense. It's heavier. It's almost like moisture. And you can see the mist. You can literally take a pencil and, and, and put it into it and start pulling it out and it will follow it. It will be all over it, all the way across. It's that dense. And it's almost like smoke coming off the pencil. It, it, you can do it with your fingers. It's so thick. And it's such a, and if you're in there, you can see it even if you're not a medium. And so it's such a powerful place to start from. I've seen sparkles before. I've seen that and I always second guess it, but I definitely have seen that. And that's always angels? Um, no, it's not. Sometimes it's some, someone telling me you got it right. Most of the time, if you see it clearly, it's angels, at least for me it is. And everyone has a different way of being communicated with. Remember, we all communicate differently to each other and they have to communicate differently to all of us. So they have one common language and we try to get, become adept at that. But as far as how they show you things, everyone's dictionary is different. So you might see, in, if, what do you feel? I mean, if you see sparkles, do you feel angelic feelings or do you feel a loved one or do you feel like, oh yeah, I'm right. I mean, what is it that you're experiencing and you'll know what that is and it will consistently be the same feeling each time. And then you've got your dictionary for that. Right. So everybody has to develop their own sort of symbology for how you're receiving information. And it's similar, um, but, but different. So if I see a balloon, most of the time that means someone just had a birthday or is ready to have one. So when people do readings, other people sometimes get confused because I may say at five different readings, I see a balloon, someone's getting ready to have a birthday. And they go, she always says that. Well, the answer is yes, I am. Or I just did or my, my son did, and they were really close to my son. It's because that's my symbol. And so if it's the truth of what's happening, they're going to give me the same symbol. It's not that I'm saying, let me guess, I see a balloon. Do you have a birthday coming? So, but that's how people view it sometimes, but we're going to get the same symbol. Most of the time, 99% of the time, that will be the symbol for, for me. Someone else is a candle being blown out. Now, you also work in forensics, which I find very fascinating. A forensic medium, what is that? Um, I work to try to assist, not find, but assist people in finding um, guns that were that killed their children. I had one where I was helping them find where the gun was located um, so that they could prosecute uh, or um, missing people. Um, are they still dead? Are they alive? Um, where are they? 
um, a location, how far are they from a camp or how far are they from the car or did someone take them? Did, are they dead? Are they buried? Are they thrown in the water? You know, those kinds of things. Uh, it's, a, it's something I do that I do not charge for. I have never charged for it. I do it on my uh, spare time that I have. And I bring in other people that also feel that way, that don't charge for it. And we try to work together to locate whatever it is they're asking to have located. Um, yeah, someone said to me, you know, I've never seen a medium find a person. And that's untrue. I found three so far in my journey and been very close to four others, close enough that they knew the vicinity and what happened. Uh, a lot of the information we get will be who killed them. So there was a woman in um, San Diego, but close to San Diego. And she uh, was a sergeant of an army. And this was not that long ago, a couple of years ago. And her boyfriend called me and said, she's missing. And um, he said she went to go on a little trip and she's missing and no one can find her. And she took her dog and she's gone. And I knew instantly the name of the person who killed her. It was her ex-husband. And I knew exactly what he did. And he said, oh, no, that can't be right because her car, because I said it was in another city far away, actually. And he said, no, her car was take two, two miles from the house. Her purse was gone and her, key, her purse and keys were in the car. And I said, that's because he drove it there. And I said, and then he took the train and he stopped in San Clemente and had a couple drinks and got back on the train and went back to Ontario and then back to Arizona. So what I want to tell you is you'll find it on the film. And I said, all your evidence is in the vehicle. And it was. Now, did I find her body? No, because he had drove her through the mountains, thought about putting her into water, thought about throwing her over the cliff, thought about all these different things. He ended up burying her in a very shallow grave. But what I did see was her looking up at so shallow with some hills and some weird flowers. And it was the desert, so it was cacti flowers. So, but I couldn't get it. So, but I did get enough that they actually got, picked him up, prosecuted him, and he finally admitted it and showed him where she was. So, do I do that all the time? No. And it's a process. So, people are so anxious, of course. They're missing their loved one. And they want to know, are they dead? Are they dead? It's never something I'll answer. It's not my place to answer that question. My place is to say, this is where I think they are, and this is what I think occurred, um, as, and giving as little as possible, but giving enough. Mm -hmm. So um, it is not a science. It is hard, hard, hard thing to do, and I would never claim to be uh, an expert at it, but I do do it, and I, I have studied it extensively with some of the best forensic mediums in the world. And so I feel that I have enough background to trust a lot of what I'm getting. It's very difficult because you have to step outside of your storyline. It's kind of when you're doing mediumship. I deliver the mail. I don't open it. Correct. Right. Um, because if I open it, it becomes my story. So if I say Raggedy Ann and I go, oh, you you had a Raggedy Ann when you were little. Your grandma made it for me. You go, no, it'll be a wrong information. But if I say I see a Raggedy Ann, it was significant. And I don't open that mail and read, try to read my story. You might say, oh, every year my grandmother made me a Raggedy Ann outfit and we did Halloween Raggedy Ann. So it then makes sense. So it's really important that we don't deliver our storyline, which is really hard with forensics. Because we watch all these shows and we think we know what the next step is. It's just really hard. It's not easy work. You know, and it's the same thing. I do work for people of cancer in hospice, and I don't charge for it. I want to be really clear. Um, and uh, I, I, it's the same kind of feeling. It's you go, and they say, well, what, you know, how long do they have? And we're not there for that. That's between their soul and the powers that be, the source I call God. Uh, you can call it whatever you choose. It's all the same thing. And it's, um, it's between them and that and their soul connection. So they may think they're going to leave next week and then something doesn't happen that they wanted to happen and they wait. So people think that they get information about when someone's going to die. And I always encourage my students, never 
to think that they are that powerful to make the decision for someone else's soul. Psychic uh, ability, I've been told, is predicting a probable future. Free will is really powerful and it's working in motion. Their free will, the universal free will, everyone in the universe, your free will. So we can see a trajectory of what it could look like, but most of the time it's not going to be that. So I'm very careful about psychic predictions. I, I truly am. I believe in intuitive work, which is the trajectory of what it could look like. And if you stay on this path, then you may have this occur. If you move from this path and decide to go this direction, it's like anything. You know, if you tell spirit you want a man and you want that man to be wealthy and have a good job and be kind and consider and all these things, and then some guy comes along as a slough, you know, that doesn't do any, you know, he's just like, doesn't do any of it. I don't want to say slob. So I said it differently, but you know what I'm saying? Um, and he doesn't take care, you know, and you go, I don't want to be alone. I'm going to take him. What did you tell spirit? I didn't really want that. So your free will shifted that. But if you stay on that, that trajectory and shift a few things, it might actually happen. And if you know that it's a possibility, a real strong possibility, you're not going to take that person over here, are you? You're going to wait for spirit to bring you what it is that you're saying you want. But we always think our timing's the best timing because we're very impatient, <laughs> right? I mean, we just are. I am. I want it and I want it. It makes me think of that um, Willy Wonka girl. I want it now. You know that. Yes. I, <laughs> and I think we live that way. She's so, what was her name? I forget. You know, and, and you think about we're all Verucas. You know, we want it and we want it now because that's what we are taught to do. Mm -hmm. uh, and really, spirit knows they know we think we know. <laughs> that's so true. So true. Patience is a virtue. Yes. Yes. And it's one that humanness doesn't carry easily. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. But it's more about trust. Mm -hmm. than it is even patience. You know, when I think about it, like what I just said about Baruch, I, I think about, isn't it true that she probably thought she wasn't going to receive it if she didn't get it right now? And so it's about trust. It's about saying, Spirit, you know, um, I'm going to trust you because I can't help you if you don't trust me. You can't help me if I don't trust you. And they can't help us if we don't trust them. So if we're going to put it in their hands, we need to leave it there and do our footwork, but not be attached to the outcome. The minute we start to get it, which is what we do as humans, that's our first thing you do is get attached to the outcome. But the minute we do that, we're now taking it back and we're lacking in trust. So I do my footwork and say, they're going to be in charge of the outcome. I can't control that. Hardest thing I ever do. <laughs> it's one of the hardest, I'm telling you, but I try. And that's part of the work that you offer. So you offer some different types of services. Intuitive life coach. That is that one area that you offer people? Was that kind of what we're talking about at the moment? Is that the guidance that you provide? Mm -hmm. You know, people want to know what their life path is meant to be. And I tell them you're on it because our life path isn't about what we do for a job. Our life path is what we do for our soul. So if my soul is meant to learn something about narcissism and most impasse always have narcissism in their life, it's what's right with them because their soul brings it in because they're soul speakers. So they don't see the head of someone. They see the soul. Souls always know they need healing when they need it. So they're attaching into that soul. They're bringing it in. Right. And what, what we, what we tend to do is to get attached to the, um, the lack of understanding that these, these, God, how do I put this? These processes that we go through are our life path. We're meant to have that in front of us. We're meant to experience this experience. And so we're following our life path when we're allowing that. And when we say to ourselves, it's not what's wrong with me. It's something I meant to learn. And my belief system is lessons learned are never lessons done. They're simply lessons learned. How we handle it when it comes in front of us again decides how often it's going to. Decide, make spirit decide, well, do I need to bring this every day again? Does she need to have a narcissist in her life on a daily basis? Or is she learned enough on her life path, soul path, to now be able to break that chain? And then they double check on us on occasion. You know, let's bring one in and see what she does. 
So um, it's all about those lessons. And that's really the true life path journey. People always ask me, what am I supposed to be doing for a living? And I say, well, that's personal choice. If you're empath, you're going to do healer work or helper work, or you're not going to feel fulfilled. Your fulfillment is not all about what you do for a living. Your fulfillment's about what you do for your soul. I think you're tuning into a good friend of mine. I'm going to have to get her to listen to this. <laughs> but that's something that she's experienced and I've experienced as well. And a lot of people, I mean, the narcissist empath dance is very, very common. And people are really trying to heal from that a lot more openly now, too. Yes. And, you know, when they say to me, what's wrong with me? It just breaks my heart. I tell them, this is what's right with you. You are a soul connection. You're connecting into a soul that knows that head needs to be healed. And you're pulling that in. Now, is it healthy for you? No. But it's everything that's right about you. Right? And, and if that soul knows it needs healing, but that head doesn't know it needs healing. Think about that. How how confused. There's no integration there. So our soul's trying to heal with love. And we're trying to get them to, to understand. And they don't understand because they're not integrated to the soul need. And that's that separation that the narcissist has or the sociopath. Or not so much a psychopath. They're just in another whole spectrum. But the sociopath, the, the, the um, narcissist. And so we are diligently working to get them to see we're going to love them well. And it doesn't work because their soul and their thought pattern isn't integrated. And we don't know that. We, we miss that. So we keep repeating it. And the goal for our soul is to get it. Oh, wait, I've got a narcissist in front of me. I can't love them well. Their soul and their thinking isn't integrated. I can't convince them. I can't say it a hundred different ways, the same thing. And one of these ways I say it, they're going to understand. I'm going to stop that sick behavior and I'm going to back away. And I'm going to now recognize that I can help the soul on the soul level, but I can't get into the game, the dance because it won't work. And maybe I can't even help the soul on the soul level. It may not be my job or my ability. If I haven't healed me in that arena, absolutely I can't. It takes me deep pain and agony to finally let go and say, this is about them, not me. And it is tremendously painful. And I go through it. And I think I will. It's one of my soul lessons. So now we're talking the soul lesson. And that's very helpful for people. So intuitive life coaching, you do the mediumship readings and you teach psychic development classes. Is that right? Mediumship development classes and intuitive. So, you know, we start with intuitive and see if you're in a place that you want to go towards mediumship. It's um, not easy. It's a kind of different vibration that some people, everyone has the ability in some way, but maybe they're not meant to use it in this lifetime. So they've shut that kind of like that walls there they've shut that door um but everyone has intuition and learning to honor it the difference between fear and intuition is extremely important to learn it's the concept is easy fear is uh, uncomfortable it's it's um, angry it's frustrated it's um, overwhelming it's anxious intuitive is calm and it's knowing it's a knowing and it's in your in your gut and it's a lower vibration than mediumship. Uh, so learning the difference, like, am I just afraid of this season or am I intuitively feeling it? This is what people want to learn. The gift of fear is very important because it can save your life. Don't jump in front of a car, be afraid, right? Okay. But also, and, and that's ego. I want to exist, okay? Ego is fear and fear is ego. But but it's not a gift to us. Uh, in, in when it starts to overgrow, it's like anything like the, the weed could grow in the South and it's, it's beautiful, right? And it does serve you. It's gorgeous. And then it smothers everything and kills it. Every tree, it kills it. So if you think about how powerful, I think that's how you say it, could grow or could grow. Uh, it, it's, if you look it up, it's K-U-D-Z-R-O, I think, um, or R-O-W, K-U-D-R-O-W something like that anyway it's a weed um and and i'm kind of digressing here but the point here is that the weed smothers just like codependency does just like fear does just like um 
um, uh, anything that we do, anger, it smothers the beautiful growth of what we're meant to do. And so you learning the difference, and that's the intuitive life coaching, learning the difference between my fear base, which we all have, me included, and my intuition gives me empowerment. Knowledge is power. And we want to be empowered on our journey. So that's part of what I teach. I also teach people how to connect to the intuition or the feelings, emotions of others to step in. It's almost like you're, some people say they're rising their vibration. I almost go, and then I go in, you know? And so I can feel myself do that. It's like a, like, I don't know, like a spring going down and then I'm moving into the soul of that person. So I know what I'm dealing with. So I teach my students to do that so that they can sit in front of someone they don't know and they can actually give them a reading and it makes complete sense to the person. And, and then, of course, then moving beyond. Also understanding tools, you know, um, tarot cards and, and pendulums and all those things that we do. I'm very unwoo-woo, very. I'm very analytical, actually. And um, I actually have my doctorate in ministries of near-death experiences, so I'm very analytical in my thinking. Um, and this is something that makes no sense, near-death experiences or tools or, or, you know, things like that. So what I teach my students is tools are simply a way to open the pathway for the reader to get spiritual information. It is not exactly what spirit wants you to hear. So here's how I show that. Flip a card in front of you. And I say to you, I put you say you do it to me. You push it towards me. You say, this is exactly what spirit wants you to hear today. I'll say to you, because I'm analytical. Prove it to me. Put it back in the deck. Let's see if I pull it again. Do you see how we get into that crazy? And people are like that in our industry that come into our industry, to, not in our industry, but come into our world to work and to learn and to get read or, you know, sitters basically is what we call them. They want proof. And so what I say to them is I want you to understand this isn't exactly what spirit wants you to hear, but there's going to be words on this card that are going to rise above for me. It's going to open that pathway because I'm working the muscle now with that beautiful tool. It opens the pathway and I get the information spirit really truly wants you to hear. Clarity, concise, not what's on a card. So I teach them those things. Very nice. Do you have any events coming up this year? I know we've had a wild world in the last little while, but anything coming up for you in 2021? Well, I'm hoping that Goop opens back up and I get, cause I went to Canada and did Goop. Um, right. It was, well, I'm hoping they call me back, ask me to come back. Um, I'm hoping they're going to start doing it not on TV, but actually the, the actual uh, Goop Health in Health Goop shows. Um, and also I'm going to be doing um, my SOAR event, which is a weekend retreat for women um, where we go like to a cabin and I take 10 women and um, sometimes 12, depending upon the size of the cabin and because uh, of COVID situation. And um, I teach them all of this in one weekend and we mesurate, we learn, we, we bond, we become partners in crime basically. And, um, and it's really amazing. The people who have taken it absolutely love it. I also am going to be teaching forensics again next year live instead of on Zoom. Uh, I have a class coming up next month, and it's how, about impacts. So it's a three-hour class on Zoom, and it's all about what is it to be an impact, and how do you how do you manage and maneuver through the journey knowing this information once you have it, and what does it feel like, and how do you um, Rain it in, basically, instead of putting the rope out there and then not knowing what's going to come to you. You know, it's kind of like we we throw out the uh, impasse, at least in, in their world. People throw out the bait and we take the bait, right? And oh, I teach them it's much easier to avoid the bait than to release from the hook. So it's learning about what the empath needs to do to not repeat these, these bait-taking behaviors and to learn about who they are as a soul and why they feel so sensitive, how beautiful that actually is and how it can benefit them. Very beautiful. Very important information to learn. Yes. Very nice. And what's your website? Where can we find more about you? Uh, Instagram is really good for any classes I take and it's medium Susan Graw, uh, G-R-A-U. And um, all of my TikTok and my everything I do, Facebook is all medium Susan Graw. 
but the Instagram usually announces what I'm going to be doing, the upcoming things. My website is um, susangraw.com. And to email me is susan at susangraw.com. And um, they can call and text 714-793-3203. But again, anything that I'm going to offer out there will be on my Instagram. Um, it will just come up and they'll have time to be able to prepare. Tonight, after our time together, I'll be doing a live event uh, on Zoom at Instagram at Medium Season Crop. If you want to have the opportunity to be read, you have to like the page because it's unfair to the people that are my followers. So I, I have a moderator that makes sure they're, they're following me. And um, I try to read as many people as I can. And that's at five o'clock Pacific Standard Time tonight. So, And I do that all the time. And I know this show might not go on in time, but just so you know, um, this is what I do. And uh, I love doing that. It's free. And I love to be able to give back. So. Lovely. This has been a great conversation. I've learned a whole lot. And you've given me, the listeners too, I'm sure, greater perspective about the work from a different viewpoint. Thank you. Thank you. It's such a pleasure talking to you. You're so easy. Oh, thank you so much. Very comfortable. Thank <laughs> you. Thanks for listening to Life Continuing. A special thanks to Susan Graw. For more on Susan and to schedule a reading, please visit susangraw.com. The advisor to the show is Amanda Capito. The music for this podcast was composed by Richard Farron. I'm your host, Tanya Berg. Make sure to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts and follow on Instagram at Life Continuing Podcast. And do join me next time, where we'll continue this conversation about life continuing.